The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to SWOutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. Okay, 1 Samuel 16, let's start um, in, in verse 14. We'll pick up where we left off last night. I want to I take verse 13, which was the last verse from last night, and we'll overlap it into this text. Now the spirit of Yah, I'm sorry, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed it in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of Yahweh came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of Yahweh departed from Saul and an evil spirit from Yahweh terrorized him. Your Bible may say tormented, terrorized or tormented. He's, he's dealing with this uh, mental illness that we're going to talk about. Saul's servants then said to him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Let our Lord now speak to your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is a skillful musician on the harp or the lyre. And it shall be that when the evil spirit from God is on you, he shall play the lyre with his hand and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the young men answered and said, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one who is understanding in speech and a man of fine form. And Yahweh is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who is with the flock. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and a wine skin of wine and a young goat and sent them to Saul by David, his son. Then David came to Saul and stood before him and Saul loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. So Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David now stand before me for he has found favor in my sight. Thus it happened that whenever the evil spirit from God came on Saul, David would take the harp, the lyre, and play it with his hand, and Saul would be refreshed and be well, and the evil spirit would depart from him. Okay, so let's, let's kind of just walk through the story of what's happening here. So I think some time has passed from the story last night, and, uh, and so we jump from last night's scene where the, spirit, the last thing we saw was that the Spirit of God was rushing onto David even as a little young, young guy, the Spirit of God was rushing on him to do great things. And then the very next verse where we pick up this morning in verse 14 is that we see Saul sort of in the opposite frame. He's, David has the Spirit of God on him, empowering him, preparing him for the calling, equipping him to do the work that God's called him to. And then we see Saul, who used to have that same sort of spiritual blessing. Saul is now like, like drifting into this place of spiritual illness, spiritual sickness. And it's hard to kind of wrestle with and figure out what's going on here because some people will say that, Saul's dealing with like depression. There are some people who are like experts on these old texts uh, from the Bible who will say that Saul's dealing with uh, like maybe he has bipolar. If you've ever heard of that, it's a, it's a um, mental illness where a person will sort of go in and out of deep, deep, deep mood swings. So, so they'll be like, okay, and then they'll be in this 
deep, dark depression. His deep, dark depression. We had a guy that worked on staff here, and uh, his his mom has since passed away. But I remember she was she was uh, dealing with bipolar, and she would go in depression. At one point, she went into this deep depression where she stayed she stayed in her bedroom for I forget it was like three straight months. She didn't come out of her bedroom. You have to take her food. He was in high school at the time. You have to take her food. It was bad. So Saul's in some sort of a depressive state. And we know that it's spiritual because of his disobedience to the Lord. The text says that Yahweh takes the blessing of his anointing and spirit and presence on Saul and all that's associated with that. And he kind of pulls that back. And then this evil spirit is tormenting Saul. It's literally, uh, in the version that I read from this morning, terrorizing Saul. And so these guys, they come up, they're like... They would be in, like, in Saul's cabinet. You know what the cabinet is? Like, the president, in our, in our country, you got the president. Then he has the cabinet, which is, like, all of his high-level advisors. This would be, like, if you think of a coach, the head coach, then he's got all of his assistant coaches. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of what's going on here. So, you've got King Saul at the top. Then he's got all these advisors. And one of them's like, you know what I think would help you? would be if we got somebody that could play really soothing, good music for you. And the idea being to play like spiritual music, worship music. I don't know, I don't know if y'all have ever, like if you notice, but music is very powerful, very powerful. Uh, and I think it's so powerful that like I don't have a rule against, like in my house, we don't have a rule against secular music. In fact, my wife was the girl that's playing drums this morning and we play a lot of secular music. Um, and I like, I like all kinds of music. Uh, like I like music from like the seventies and eighties. Um, and I like some modern music, um, like different genres of music. Um, so, uh, but music is powerful. You gotta be careful what you're listening to. I feel like a lot of times, um, teenagers, this is where they're most unguarded. Like if you're listening to music, listen, if you are putting into your mind music that objectifies girls and, and like, and it's very sexual in its nature, it will distort and warp the way you view sexuality. Like it'll affect it. So, so you got to be careful what you're listening to. Um, I'm just like, I'm thinking of all the different kinds of music that I like. And some of it's probably not the best. Like some of it's probably not, you know, like when, if I'm, if I'm on my mountain bike, I've got a playlist that involves like Metallica, Megadeth, you know, <laughs> you know, like, like, but, but it's got some modern trendy stuff, like some 21 pilots and stuff like that. So like, but just the point being, do you notice how your mood will swing based on the music you're playing? And so, um, like I remember one time we did this experiment. We, we took a camera into downtown Atlanta and we filmed this one city, like it was like a street corner and we just filmed people walking on this street corner. Then we condensed it into about a 30 second video of people walking by. Like I remember there's a lady with a backpack and she's just kind of walking like this. And then there's a guy um, with a bicycle that he's pushing over to park, to go into work. And it was like whatever music you played really, uh, like really shaped the way you could see that scene. So like one, we, like we played like this circus music, like 
like that and this girl's walking along with her backpack and you're like oh that's kind of a fun happy day and then we slowed it down put it in slow motion played this really sad music and you're like oh that poor girl she's like and it really affected the way that you perceived what was going on music's very powerful I'm not musical Uh, I don't in, in the North Carolina public schools when I was in school, you have to, in fifth and sixth grade, you had to play the recorder. They still do that? Some places, apparently, they do. So I got some yeses and some noes. I, I could only play hot cross buns. It goes like this. I got it, man. I got like that, you know. And so hot cross buns, I could do it. And then, um, but then they started, then you got graded on it which I believe is discrimination um, for those of us that are not so musically inclined. Uh, and, and I got an issued recorder. All the, all the rich kids went to the music store, bought their own recorders. I got a recorder that somebody else's nasty, slobbery lips have been on for the last nine fifth grade classes, you know. <laughs> and I could not play that thing very good. But I always thought, I don't know if we got any marching band people here. I love the marching band. Love it. And I love at uh, football games. Um, So my son, the last two years of his high school career, he played at a school that didn't have a marching band. And it was awful. It took away so much of like the atmosphere. But I always thought if I was in the marching band, I would play one of two instruments. This drum, the one that's like, looks like a pregnant lady. You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, boom, boom. Boom, boom. Y'all know that one? I would either do that or the big round cymbals. Like I could do that, I think. That'd be fun. But I could not play anything that required talent, um, like a deep amount of skill because I'm not musical. You know, I could keep a beat just enough to, to slap them cymbals, I think, I think. But I have a lot of respect. My wife is a musician. Um, one of my daughters is a musician, and I have a lot of respect. David, the text tells us, is very skillful as a musician. He's very skillful. And we know from the life of David that, okay, we're getting introduced to him last night when he's a really young dude. But then all the way through his life, he would write music. I believe David's probably a guy that even when he was king, I think he would probably, there were times where he would just sit down take out his old guitar, his old, his old lyre, and he would just start like working on music and, and maybe writing a song. So if you look in the middle of your Bible, there's a book called Psalms. Psalms. There's 150 Psalms. Some of them are even broken down into multiple Psalms within a Psalm. And a Psalm is a song. It's like a worship song. And so David wrote a lot of those psalms. So he's, he's credited with writing a lot of the hymns of worship in ancient Israel. So he's a, he's a, he would become a king who was also a psalmist or a songwriter. And so we, we see in the text that he was gifted. He was anointed by God. Like his ability to use the gifts God had given him for God's glory is a very important principle because these people recognize it and they're like, they start to describe this young guy who's been out there with the sheep, taking care of, like, like I think probably a few things are going on when David's out there working with the sheep. 
Let's say he's 12, 14, 16 years old, and he's taking care of the sheep, and he's learning a lot of the principles that are going to go with him in life. Listen, don't waste this period of your life. Like, don't waste your middle school and high school years. These are what we call formative years. These are years in your life that will affect the way you live the rest of your life. Like, literally, the reason, listen, I'm, I'm going on three decades of student ministry. That's a long time. The first, the, it, it was pretty cool. Earlier this summer, we had a church here, and the pastor's wife of that church, and, there, and, and their, their children were here who were now, one of them's a senior in high school, but the pastor's wife, who's like 48 years old, 46 years old, she was in the first group of students I ever worked with. That's a long time to do student ministry. And I, and I feel like my calling for life is student ministry. It's, it's something that I'm passionate about. And one of the reasons I think I've wrestled with it through the years is like, did God just give me this desire to do student ministry? Well, it's because these are the most impactful, formative years that shape the person that you're going to become. You, like who you are right now has great bearing on who you're going to be when you're 30, 40, 60, 80, what you're like as a mom or a dad, what you're like as a grandparent, what you're like as, a, as, as an employee or an employer 20 years from now. These years matter, and you're growing up in a culture that says these years don't really matter. These years are for you to figure things out. Well, you know what? I've got it all figured out for you. God wants you to love Jesus, love people, and be conformed to the image of, of Jesus. If you'll do that, everything else is going to work itself out. If you, will, if you will submit your life to Jesus and strive to follow him, to keep your eyes on him, to work to become every day the best friend you can be, the best son or daughter you can be, the best student you can be, the best athlete you can be. You're not doing those things so that you might gain great blessing. You're doing those things so that people would see an authentic brand of Christianity so that you would be conformed more into the image of Jesus. David, at a young age, he's out there. He's taking care of these sheep. He's writing worship music. He's playing worship songs. He's taking care of the responsibilities that God's given him, and it's forming the person that he's going to become. Now, we learn a few things in that text. Like it said, they're describing this teenager named David, and it said, he's a mighty man of valor, and he's a warrior. wonder why it would describe him as that if he's a shepherd boy. Well, we'll learn later that he has had to defend those sheep against predators, against lions, against bears, against probably against people because he's living in this borderland region where opposing tribes and clans would have tried to come in and take the sheep. Imagine you're like 14, 15 year old. Some of you don't have to imagine that because you are 14 or 15, but imagine as a 14 or 15 year old, your job, you're like, your daddy's like, hey, you see that mountain? Take the sheep on the other side of that mountain. There's some good grass over there. Ain't nobody grazing it. Oh, but by the way, MS-13 is based over there. You know, like, what? Like, yeah, the cartel's over there. You got some cribs and some bloods. Take an AK-47. Don't let nobody kill our sheep. You're like, okie doke. All right, here we go. You know, like, pack a lunch. Like, David, at a young age, is being given enormous responsibility, and he's embracing that responsibility. 
And so he's described at a young age as a mighty man of valor, a man of war, a warrior. It says that he's well-spoken. He's able to communicate and speak. He's gifted. He uses his gifts for the Lord. It says that literally the favor of the Lord is with him. And that when David is around, he's a person of, it says, a fine form or of good presence. He's a, he's a guy you like having around. He's a kid you love to have around. Just enjoy having him around. So this stands out to this guy that works for Saul. Saul's like, hey, I know this guy. And the word's out about this kid. So they recommend to Saul that this kid come and be in Saul's court. And so they, uh, they send for David. They send a message to David's daddy, that guy named Jesse. And he loads up this donkey and he puts a bunch of gifts for the king on the donkey and uh, David takes it to the king. And when he gets there, um, the king listens to him. David starts to play that music. And remember, one of the descriptions is that he's a man of good presence or fine form, which means when he's there, it, it makes things better. So you've got the presence of David. And then you've, I've, got a, I've got a daughter who, like, her presence has a calming effect on her peer group. And I, and I, and I one day, I'm, I'm praying that one day there'll be a way to write on this or something, write a book or a, at least do some work where we talk. Like, if you will, will become confident of who you are in Christ and you'll love other people well, the people will want to be around you. People will desire your very presence. David's like that. So, like, bring him in. His presence calms the king. He begins to use the gifts God's given him and play. Like, he wrote these really cool psalms. Like, there's this one psalm, the first, the first passage I ever memorized as a young Christian. I was 20 years old. Psalm 121. And I memorized it in the King James Version of the Bible, which is an older version translation of Scripture that's very British sounding, like, like ancient English sounding. And it's like, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not suffer your foot to be moved. That means, in other words, the Lord will plant you firmly. And I'm going to look like it's just this beautiful poetic prose that David would have played on his guitar and, and sang to the king. And the king was like calmed in his spirit. Some of you are from situations where your mom, your dad, your family is in conflict. And literally God is already using you to bring a calm and a peace in the home. That's a heavy responsibility. But if you're one of those kids, trust me, God's got you there for a reason. God's going to use you in that situation. Maybe you're in a situation where your parents have split up and maybe there's turmoil and maybe there's different boyfriends and girlfriends to your mom or your dad coming in and out and, and it can be very chaotic, it can be very confusing. Listen, if you are calmed by the Lord and you keep your eyes on the Lord, you would literally, as, as hard as it is to imagine that this would be placed on you as a teenager, you could become the person that God uses to bring calming stability to that home. Instead of saying, oh man, instead of play, look, instead of being a victim, man, it ain't my fault. My parents can't get along. My dad left. My mom's got an addiction. My this, my that, blah, blah. Poor me, poor me. It's not my fault. I don't deserve this. Nope. What we see is two things with David. David doesn't have a sense of entitlement, and David doesn't have a victim mentality. And those are the two things right now in your generation that are being celebrated and promoted. 
Well, uh, let me explain what that means. Entitlement is when somebody's like, you deserve something. You deserve this. You deserve that. You deserve. Look, I know that I know that you are averaging a 43 in that class, but you know what? You deserve to pass. Hey, y'all, look at me. If you got a 43, you don't deserve to pass. You deserve to fail and have to go to summer school or take the class over. Like, news alert. I know that's not going to make me friends with, with teenagers, but we're in this weird place as a society where it's like, no, everyone wins. No, y'all, in life, everyone don't win. Everybody don't win. Get it out of your mind. Let me tell you the one thing that, you, that is offered to you that you don't deserve and that you cannot earn, and that is the gift of salvation provided through the work of Jesus. That's what God offers you. You don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. But he says, here, I'll save you by the work of Jesus at the cross. I've provided salvation for you. But we're living in this culture where, y'all know, we're living in a society where people are saying, it's so contradictory. I'm going to rant for just a second here. It's so contradictory because five years ago, the argument was over, how are you born? Are you born this way or that way? Now the argument is, doesn't matter how you're born. Let's wait till you're about five or six-year-old kid, and then you get to decide who and what you're going to be. Listen, y'all, a five- and six-year-old kid can't decide any meaningful thing about their decision like about their life you're growing up in a society that's saying you get to determine what's true for you what do you what makes you feel good what you're entitled to that let me tell you something you're not entitled to anything you don't work for other than the gift of salvation David understood this. David didn't believe the cultural lie that, well, you, just, you should just have the way paved for you. Life should just be easy. You're special. And you ain't special. You are not special. You are created in the image of God, and as such, you are much more than special. You are a, you are, you are a representation of an, uh, like of an enormous amount of potential that will only be tapped into if you surrender your life to Jesus. That's, that's what you are. You are, you are a, a massive amount of potential. That if you'll surrender your life to Jesus, you'll surrender your gifts to Jesus. You'll surrender every part of who you are to, to the Lord. He'll do incredible things in your life. He'll give you purpose. He'll give you value. He'll give you identity. He'll make you the man or the woman he wants you to be. And it'll be incredibly impactful. And you won't be trying to figure out, where do I fit in? What, what role do I play in the world? What's going to make me happy? More importantly, what's going to bring you deep joy? A relationship with Jesus, him defining your purpose. That's what's going to bring you joy. David didn't have a sense of entitlement. And David didn't have a victim's mentality. It wasn't like, poor me, man. First off, man, I got a really crappy lot in life. I'm the one kid that's got to take care of the sheep. These things poop all the time. They're nasty. I'm going to tell you something. We got some sheep at my house. They're the dumbest animals that have ever been created by the Lord. Like he, he created, I'm convinced, he created sheep just so that all through the Bible he could use illustrations to talk about people. He's like, y'all are like sheep. Y'all so dumb. <laughs> You're like, that's offensive. I didn't say it. God said it. He said whatever he wants to, and it's always right. That's all I can say. And then he's like, you know, I got these really dumb animals that are, like walking analogies for humans. I should do something productive with them. I know what, I'll clothe them in wool and then people can like get their wool and be warm. Like sheep are crazy animals. 
I had one born this summer, earlier this summer, and it was, and it's like the cutest little thing. It's like it's this big, a little, a little uh, lamb. His name's Maverick, named after the greatest blockbuster hit of the summer, you know, like, and so, but they're dumb. So this past weekend, little was like, my wife was like, oh, I think we got a couple of sheep that are getting ready to die. I'm like, why? She's like, I fed him a cucumber. Well, like, well, how does a cucumber kill you? You're a pathetic, like, like you're a pathetic creature if a cucumber is going to kill you. Cucumber, it's supposed to be healthy. Girls, like, I've seen pictures of people put them on their eyes. You know, like, these are good for you. Anyway, sheep are not easy to deal with. David's just taking care of the sheep all the time. And take care of the sheep. The wolf wants to get them. I got to kill the wolf. The lion wants to get them. I got to kill the lion. I just want to hang out with my friends and listen to music. Not David. He doesn't have a victim mentality. He doesn't feel sorry for himself. I think the world is even starting to figure this out. Let me, let me, let me wrap us up by reading a, a quote from Chief Justice John Roberts. Chief Justice John Roberts is the Chief Justice Supreme Court, and he, this is a quote from a speech he gave at his son's uh, middle school graduation. Middle school graduation, okay? Listen to what he said. From time to time in the years to come, I hope you will be treated unfairly so that you will come to know the value of justice. I hope that you will suffer betrayal because that will teach you the importance of loyalty. Sorry to say, but I hope you will be lonely from time to time so that you don't take friends for granted. I wish you bad luck again from time to time so that you will be conscious of the role of chance in life and understand that your success is not completely deserved and that the failure of others is not completely deserved either. And when you lose, as you will from time to time, I hope every now and then your opponent will gloat over your failure. It is a way for you to understand the importance of sportsmanship. I hope you'll be ignored so, that, uh, so you know the importance of listening to others. And I hope you'll have compassion. Just enough pain that you will learn compassion. Whether I wish these things or not, they're going to happen. And whether you benefit from them or not will depend on your ability to see the message in your misfortunes. In other words, everything that happens in your life, God will use for his glory. And he'll grow you into the man or the woman that he wants you to be. That's not a Christian. That dude, I don't know if he's a believer or not. That's not written from a gospel perspective. But what David shows us is you're not a victim. Sometimes you're going to lose. Sometimes you're going to have hardships. Sometimes you're going to have bad situations. But God will use those things to shape you into the man or the woman that he wants you to be. David's teaching us this. And ultimately, David, in the, at the end of the passage, comes into Saul's presence, plays his guitar, sings his worship music, plays, plays that worship music, and Saul's like completely calmed down. It brings peace. David shows us what it looks like to bring peace through the relationship that God gives us with other people. And we should strive. Jesus would say, blessed are the peacemakers. We should be those who bring peace not drama, not gossip, not slander, not complaining, not victimhood, not entitlement, confident of who you are in the Lord, representative of Jesus who is the ult, if anybody could have ever played the victim card, if anybody ever could have had a sense of entitlement, it was Jesus, and he didn't. For the joy in front of him, he laid his life down to die in our place. We need to learn from that supreme and ultimate example. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.